This episode is brought to you by Hover. For me, creating accountability is the first step whenever I want to execute an idea. And one of the best ways to do that is by giving that idea a local habitation and a name. Hover makes doing that easy. With an endless selection of extensions and free WHOIS privacy included, they make finding the perfect domain name for your passion project a breeze. Start laying the groundwork for your next idea now by heading over to hover.com slash hurry slowly to get 10% off your first domain purchase. That's H-O-V-E-R dot com slash hurry slowly. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can avoid burnout, improve your productivity, and activate your creative mind all through the simple act of slowing down. Today is the first installment in a new mini-episode format that I'm introducing. These will be shorter, 5-10 to minute episodes that provide a lighter counterpoint to the in-depth interviews that I normally do. Moving forward, every third episode of Hurry Slowly will be in this shorter format. And this first one is going to be a little meditation from yours truly. Because as we head into the holiday break, it feels like the perfect moment to pause and take stock of what we've learned over the course of the first 10 episodes of Hurry Slowly. For me, there's one single idea, or rather, one single object, that has loomed large over so many of these conversations about regaining control of our time and our attention. And that's the smartphone. With Craig Mott, I talked about how smartphones are almost like tiny time machines that allow us to rewind to the moments that we loved and fast forward into the future. They are forever pulling us out of the present moment. With Tyler Cowan, I explored how the apps and tools we use on our phones every day make matching with like-minded people and things so seamless that we don't even realize that they're seriously reducing our willingness to take risks. And Ann Friedman and I discussed the special brand of anxiety that springs from getting panicky push notifications from news organizations and endlessly scrolling through our social media feeds. And on a certain level, this is no surprise. We all know that our phones are addictive magnets for our attention. But today I want to dig into exactly why. Because I think it's incredibly useful to understand the actual mechanics. And that starts with getting a lot more clear about what we mean when we use the word attention. There are, in fact, two distinct types of attention that we use as we move through our days. The first is controlled attention. This is the type of attention we call upon when we exert deliberate focus, like when you're on deadline to create an important presentation. So you hunker down at your computer, and you tune everything else out, and you get into the zone. When people refer to attention in almost any type of conversation, or blog post, or productivity advice, controlled attention is almost always what they're referring to. But there's a second, sneakier type of attention that we almost never talk about, and that's reflexive attention, or as I prefer to call it, automatic attention. That's the form of attention that is constantly hard at work monitoring the world around you while you focus on other things. It's constantly keeping an eye out for threats and assessing what stimuli might be relevant to your goals. And if and when something is relevant, that information then gets surfaced to your conscious mind. The reason automatic attention exists is, of course, for efficiency's sake. Our brains have limited cognitive bandwidth, and if we tried to pay attention consciously to every little detail in the world around us, well, we'd probably go insane. So basically, the whole point of automatic attention is that it allows us to be attentive to our goals 
without having to constantly keep them in mind. Which means we have brain power left over to focus on other stuff. Now, there are two key factors that influence what stimuli will capture our automatic attention. And that's salience and goal relevance. So salience is physical. What's the location of the stimuli? How close is it to you? How loud is it? How big is it? And goal relevance is intellectual. Does that stimuli relate to what I want to accomplish? Does it pertain to my goals and my needs? And it is around this issue of goals that the problem starts to arise. Because there are some types of stimuli that are frequently relevant to our goals, but may not be related to our goals at this exact moment. Let's just take a second to ponder how often using your smartphone is relevant to executing your goals. The answer, of course, is constantly. To just run through a short list, we use our smartphones to check the weather, to arrange for transport, to navigate to our destination, to communicate with colleagues, to stay in touch with loved ones, to maintain our schedules, to keep track of tasks, to play games, to crunch numbers, to check the time, to read the news, and on and on and on. Hundreds of daily activities that used to be performed in separate locations with different gestures and through a range of interpersonal interactions have now all been collapsed into the smartphone. There has literally never been a device that is so relevant to executing our goals so much of the time. And because of this, our brains have been trained to allot a substantive portion of our automatic attention to our smartphones. But this becomes problematic at those moments, like say when you're working on an important creative project, when the smartphone is not relevant to what you want to accomplish. And not only is it not relevant, interacting with it is in fact a huge impediment to what you want to accomplish. In a recent study led by Adrian Ward from the University of Texas, researchers dug a little deeper into the mechanics of automatic attention in an attempt to assess how much the mere presence of a smartphone might impact our working memory and fluid intelligence, both of which are crucial components of creative problem solving. What they found was that people's cognitive abilities declined in more or less direct proportion to the proximity of their phone. People performed the best when their phone was in a completely separate room. And they performed less well when their phone was nearby but hidden, say in a pocket or a bag. And they performed even worse when their phone was on their desk in front of them, visible. In all of these instances, vibrations and sounds were completely turned off. And even more importantly, the study participants were not conscious of any impact on their performance. When asked if they had trouble focusing on the cognitive test because they were thinking about their phones, they said no. In other words, even though the proximity of their phones was negatively impacting the participants' ability to focus on the task, they had absolutely no awareness that their attention was compromised. So basically, even when you are sitting at your desk and your conscious mind is confident that, yes, you really are focused on the task at hand and making good progress, a certain portion of your attention and cognitive ability is still being siphoned off by your smartphone. Unless, unless, you've placed it in an entirely different room. The researchers call this phenomenon brain drain. There's a portion of your attention that you do control and you can deploy as you wish. But there's another portion of your attention that is always going to be drawn with an almost gravitational pull toward your smartphone. 
Okay, so if we accept this as the state of the union with regard to our attention, what then can we do about it? The first thing is to understand that every time you use your smartphone to accomplish a goal, you are, in a sense, investing more automatic attention in it. You're reinforcing the idea that your brain should pay attention to the phone. So then the question becomes, how can you begin to decouple key daily activities from your smartphone? In particular, focusing on activities that you do again and again and again throughout the day. Could you buy a watch or a bedside clock so that you don't have to use your phone to check the time? Could you track your daily to-do list by writing it down on paper rather than using a task management app? Could you make a pact with friends and family to speak more regularly on the phone rather than communicating in little drips and drops of text messages? Could you commit to primarily digesting the news through print magazines and newspapers rather than getting push notifications on your phone? Could you leave your phone in the other room while you sleep every night? Could you go for a long walk and leave your phone at home? These are all experiments that you can play with to test your dependency on your phone and start to chip away at how closely your attention is tied to it. And if we can loosen that bond to our phones, we can start to loosen up in general. It hasn't been scientifically proven, of course, but I'm pretty sure that at least half of the hurry and the urgency and the anxiety that we experience on a daily basis lives inside of those little glowing rectangles. So setting your phone down is part and parcel of slowing down. After today's episode, Hurry Slowly is going on holiday break for two weeks. Then we'll be back again with brand new episodes starting on January 9th when I talk with Alex Peng, the author of the book Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less. You've probably heard about how top athletes and performers engage in deliberate practice. But have you heard about deliberate rest? We'll go deep on how rest and renewal are essential for not only doing your best work, but also having your best ideas. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in 2018.